supposed to support these missionaries. The two that this video was about are named Michael and Tracy Bird. And they're serving in a neighborhood um, not too far from us in, in St. Louis, a forgotten type neighborhood. But they've come and they've moved their family um, to this neighborhood, inner city St. Louis, and they're investing um, themselves there. Um, they're seeking to build relationships and, and community with the, the people around them, and, and God is, is blessing. It says here in the guide, the neighborhood, which is 95% African-American, has a high poverty rate, a high crime rate, and mostly single-parent homes. By canvassing the community, the birds quickly found their assumptions of needs were different from reality. Building relationships over shared meals, offering group cooking lessons, and even trips to the grocery store had become pathways to meet needs and discipling new believers. And now Faith Community Bible Church has expanded to a second campus. He's quoted here as saying, all people have the same heart condition in small towns and in the big urban centers. We all need the same Jesus. So let's pray for the birds. And they have two requests for us to pray for. Um, pray to have wisdom in creatively reaching the neighbors there in that neighborhood. And then pray for God to open hearts to the gospel through faith community Bible church. So will you pray those two things? for Faith Community Bible Church and for Michael and Tracy Bird. Lord, we pray for a unique move of your Holy Spirit through Faith Community Bible Church and then through Michael and Tracy Bird. I pray that you would see fit to glorify yourself through changing lives through that church into the local community. I pray, Lord, that we too would have the same confidence and hope in Christ to proclaim him in our local community, just as Michael reminded us, the same heart condition is true right here in our community with people as is true in the inner city of, of St. Louis. And I pray that we would be your ambassadors. We would be obedient to go, to love, to share, uh, to glorify you with all of our lives. And I pray for a similar movement of the gospel right here in Hallsville Baptist Church. And now... Lord, as we hear the word proclaimed, Lord, I pray that you would help me to proclaim it faithfully, um, accurately, uh, lovingly, yet boldly um, as well. And I pray that you would speak de deeply into our hearts because we desperately need your word. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Have you ever given thought... Why did Jesus not only have to die, but why did he suffer so much humiliation? Why was his death so terrible? 
in ancient times, the death of gods, although rare in ancient mythology and religion, it, it was still present. But at the same time, there's nothing like a god becoming a man and dying such a humiliating and excruciating death on the cross. The Greek god Dionysus and the Egyptian god Osiris had violent deaths, but their deaths were quick and they were free from shame. He's not only different than these pagan deities, which are not gods, those little g god gods. He's different for Jews, too. Uh, Jews at the time believed that it was a sign for someone who had been especially cursed by God to be killed on a cross. There's a scripture in the Old Testament about someone hanging on a tree to be especially accursed by God. And they associated the cross with someone that was hung on a tree. When we talk about the cross today, we mainly emphasize how, how Jesus paid our debt. As we just sang, he paid for our guilt, which is gloriously true and, and so important. But at the same time, when we talk about the cross, a lot of times we de-emphasize and don't talk a lot about how Jesus carried away our shame, which is equally true and equally important to us. And to take away our shame, he had, he had to die in the way that he did on an old rugged cross in the most humiliating fashion imaginable. Shame is throughout the Bible. It, it starts in chapter 3 of Genesis, the, the first book. In the Bible, when Adam and Eve sinned, you all know what happened. They hid from God. They, they heard God coming and they hid from God. They knew immediately they had sinned because they felt shame. They tried to cover themselves with leaves to, to hide the, the weight of their shame that they felt. And as you move on through the Old Testament, one of the top examples of people who felt shame were a group of people called lepers. Um, lepers had a, had a skin condition, but under the Old Testament law, and you see this on into the New Testament in the time of Jesus because they were still, at that point, living under the Old Testament law, these lepers had to live outside of the, the local community. They had to warn people when they came around, because if they came in contact with people without leprosy, then those people without leprosy under the Old Testament law would be considered unclean. And they would transfer that shame of leprosy to that healthy person. Leprosy was extremely shameful. It, it made one feel like they were an outcast. Like they could not be a part of the community, of the family, like ordinary, regular people were. This is why it's so significant that when Jesus came in his ministry, he talked to lepers. He, he even touched lepers. 
he healed lepers. And he did not get leprosy. He healed, he cleansed them of their leprosy and took away their shame. And those two examples, Adam and Eve hiding in shame because of their sin debt, and then also lepers. They were both carrying shame, but there's a difference in an important way that I want you to keep in mind throughout this morning's message. Adam and Eve carried shame and embarrassment over what they had done. While the leper was carrying shame because of something that had happened to him or to her. There's an important difference, and we're going to talk more about that throughout this message this morning. But before moving on, what is shame? Well, shame is humiliation. Shame, to understand it, it's more felt. It's, it's a feeling. It's, it's a subjective feeling of being the outcast, of being alone. It, it's, it's loneliness. It's worthlessness. It's, it's losing face, not only in the way that you see yourself, but in the way that you perceive other people seeing you. It's losing face in the eyes of the other. It's feeling disapproval from others. It, it, it's embarrassment and regret. It, it's feeling dirty, like you need to be covered up but can't get covered up. That, that shame, and you know it when you see it. When you feel it, you know how damaging shame can be to you. So understanding what shame is and how much it affects us makes the cross even more a source of hope, a tree of hope for us. So let's read from John's Gospel, chapter 19, about when Jesus was carried to the cross and when he bore our shame, when he was humiliated. And we see there the depth of his love for us, that he was willing to identify with us in our shame. The one who is perfectly honorable suffered such indignity in dishonor all for love's sake for me and for you so let's read this together john's gospel chapter 19 verses 1 through 6 then pilate took jesus and had him flogged the soldiers also twisted together a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and clothed him in a purple robe. And they kept coming up to him and saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and were slapping his face. Pilate went outside again and said to them, Look, I'm bringing him out to you. I'm bringing... I'm bringing him out to you to let you know I find no grounds for charging him. 
Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, here is the man. This is God's holy word. When Jesus went to the cross, he was systematically and purposefully put to great shame. He had already been insulted by this sham kind of trial that he had to go through, first with the Sanhedrin and the chief priest and the other Jewish religious leaders, and then later, uh, as we looked at last time, with Pontius Pilate, all of these accusations that were completely not true, were false, were laid on, on Jesus. It was all very shameful that, that Jesus had to walk through. Questions about his character, blaming him for things that were completely not his, his fault. So he had already been betrayed. He had already been excluded. All of his followers had, had left him. Peter was soon to deny even knowing Jesus. He was alone. He was an outcast. He was on the outside. And now, as we read, he was physically degraded. The Romans had this this instruction book on how someone should should be executed on a cross. There were professional execu executioners who carried this out, and the cross was designed to be not only an instrument of punishment and pain, but also of, of shame and indignity. It was designed for Rome's enemies so that Rome could give the message to anyone who would see someone crucified about how powerful they are and how weak this person is hanging up on a cross. Jesus was stripped naked and he was flogged. And I won't go into all the gruesome details of his flogging, but the but suffice to say it was torture, a type of torture that would be outlawed in America um, today, wouldn't be allowed. You can watch the Passion of the Christ and, and you see some of how horrible it was for Jesus, but reading, I don't believe even that movie captures all the horror that Jesus had to go through. He was not only physically assaulted and abused, he was humiliated sexually. He was stripped naked. He, he, he was emotionally and, and psychologically demeaned. Um, the executioners, they, they made fun of him. They mocked him. They, they slapped him. They called him the king of the Jews. And they, they bowed down to him in a sign of, of sarcasm and disrespect. And they put a purple robe on his shoulders, purple being the color of royalty at this time, saying that the king of the Jews is just this weak and in their eyes fool. And they were mocking him. They were insulting him. 
They were torturing him. They were disrespecting him. And then when he was crucified, he went to the cross weak and bloody and mutilated and not wearing any clothes. And the Romans had these crucifixion, crucifixions in a public place. And that was, again, purposeful so that everyone could see their power on display. And others could come by and they could mock those who are crucified. And people did join in mocking Jesus and insulting Jesus. This was horrible shame. This was horrible, terrible pain and defeat that, that Jesus went through. But he went through it all for love's sake. He went through it for me and for you. Jesus was put to shame so that we can put our shame away. Shame need not control us, those who are in Christ by faith, because he bore it on the cross, because he went through that type of suffering for us. And he takes away our shame any time that we move toward Jesus by faith. Let me show you what I mean through a, a woman's experience with shame and having her shame lifted through Jesus. This is Luke's gospel, chapter 8, verses 43 through 48. While he was going, the crowds were nearly crushing him. A woman suffering from bleeding for 12 years who had spent all she had on doctors and yet could not be healed by any approached from behind and touched the end of his robe. Instantly, her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds are hemming you in and pressing against you. Someone did touch me said, Jesus, I know that power has gone out for me. When the woman saw that she was discovered, she came trembling and fell down before him. In the presence of all the people, she declared the reason she had touched him and how she was instantly healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. So this woman had a, a medical condition, a, a female medical condition, and she had suffered under this for many, many years. She had gone to doctor after doctor to try to get this corrected, but none of them could. And finally, she saw her opportunity. She saw in Jesus a way that this could be healed. And it just wasn't a physical problem for her. Again, living in the time that she did where she did, she would have been under the Old Testament law and would have been considered unclean. This was a woman like a leper who could not be a part of the faith community of Israel. 
could not go and worship publicly, could not be close to friends and family members. She bore this shame. For 12 long years, she had been suffering, not knowing how she was going to be healed. And then finally, Jesus came, and she fought through the crowd, and she just believed that if she could just touch the hem of his robe, she would be healed. And she did just that. And instantly she was healed. And instantly Jesus knew power had gone out from him. And he identified this woman. And I can just picture her trembling before everyone there. Saying it was me. Explaining what had happened. And Jesus calmly and gently says, daughter, go. Your faith has healed you. Her shame was taken away. This is one of those examples that I've already mentioned to you where shame had happened to this woman. There's no reason to assume this woman was under any sort of discipline by God, and that was the reason why she had this medical condition. This woman did not come to confess any particular sin to Jesus to have her shame rem removed. All that was needed by this woman to have her shame removed was to come openly and transparently to the Lord, to move toward Jesus by faith, believing that he could heal her, that he could take the shame away. And like her, there are all sorts of reasons that we suffer under the weight of shame. Shame can sometimes just happened to us in the same way that it just happened to this woman. We could be poor or feel embarrassed about our family background, feel like we've got to hide that from other people because we're embarrassed by that. That's shame. We could, like this woman, have some type of, of sickness or disability that that keeps us from taking part in life with others. And it's just this constant reminder that I'm different and I'm on the outside compared to other people. It could be not being able to have a child. It could be a mental health challenge that just seems debilitating. It may be trying as hard as you can, but yet just not being able to get a job. It may be struggling with, with painful social anxiety or, or social awkwardness. And the cure for shame in situations like this, where shame just happened to you, 
Is it confessing sin? It's simply moving toward Jesus by faith. This is so important that we understand because we do not confess sins and wrongdoing done to us either. I think it's so vital that we understand this because so many people carry the weight of shame and live in shame because of sins that have been done to them and they feel like I'm the one to blame for this shame. No. No, brother and sister. An enormous amount of shame can come because of sin done to us. Sexual abuse, emotional abuse, physical abuse. But we should not confess them as if we were in the wrong. No, we who have been abused are the victim. The way we handle shame from sin done to us is exactly like this woman. Drawing near to Jesus. Believing in him. In his love and his tender mercy and kindness. And letting him lift the shame away from us. But on the other hand, and this is equally vital... There is plenty of shame in our lives that didn't just happen to us. There is plenty of shame in people's lives that is there because we caused it to be there, because of wrong that we have done. And it's in those situations where we should rightly feel shame. For example, in Romans 6.21, the Apostle Paul says, So what fruit was produced then from the things you are now ashamed of? The outcome of those things is death. So he was talking to people who are already Christians and he was reminding them not to continue to walk in sin, to live in, in sin anymore. And he's saying, what is the fruit of sin? It leads to death. You ought to be rightfully ashamed of those ways in which you used to live. So there is plenty of shame that is in our lives not because of what has happened to us, but because of what we have done. Death in that verse equals destruction. All sin comes with it a consequence. Destruction in relationships. Destruction in yourself. And how does that destruction feel? Well, largely it feels like shame. It feels like failure. It feels like embarrassment and deep regrets. 
But there's hope here. There's another added step that we need to take when sin doesn't just happen to us, but is there because of what we have done. And that step is confession. When we confess our sins to God in Christ, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So not only do we need to move toward Jesus, but in moving toward Jesus, we need to say, Jesus, I am the one in the wrong. I confess my sin to you that has caused this shame in my life. Now, will you forgive me and take away my shame? And because Jesus is faithful and because he suffered such shame for you on the cross, as Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 says, Though your sins are like scarlet, they're ugly. They'll be as white as snow. Jesus will come in and cleanse that sin and take away that shame. And I hope you understand now how common shame is. It's unfortunately that it's unfortunate that we don't emphasize it when preaching the gospel because we desperately need to understand how through the gospel our shame can be put away. Shame shows up in three common ways that I guarantee you every person in this room is dealing with, not just in the past, but currently, either a combination of these three, or maybe one may be more prominent than the other, or two more prominent than the other, but but common ways, there are three common ways that shame shows its ugly head in our lives. The first one being body shame. And that is being embarrassed at how your body looks instead of viewing your body as a gift of God to be thankful for and to be stewarded for his glory. Body shame could also come because of what somebody said about you wrongly. It could also, even worse, come because of something that's been done to you. Sexual abuse leaves a person feeling worthless, feeling violated. On the other hand, speaking of sins done by us causing body shame... Sexual immorality and promiscuity, that is simply not keeping sex in the bounds of covenant marriage, will not, 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 surprising, not surprisingly, like this should be totally expected, leave a person feeling dirty, which is just another way of feeling body shame. It's a consequence of that sin in our life. Shame. 
Second way shame is experienced by us, social shame. Social shame is the feeling like you're never worthy of belonging. Like you're not good enough for people to include you or to be your friend. You constantly feel like I don't add up here in relation to other people. Social shame is the type of shame that in my life I've had to deal with um, the most. Uh, feelings of insecurity, feelings of, of isolation and loneliness, of, of not being wanted by others. And a lot of it I look at, sometimes shame can be rooted a lot of times, I, I don't want to just say sometimes, a lot of times shame can be rooted in events in, in childhood, either from your family or your peers. And it's true for me with this. Um, when I was younger, um, I was always good at academics. Um, I, I liked sports. I played sports, but I was never like, a top athlete. I was always like somebody that would come off the bench and there's shame in that too, right? Not feeling like you, you know. And then on top of that, uh, no offense, Lauren and Morgan, but I was also in the band too, which a lot of people don't think that's the coolest thing, right? Um, and then I'll add on to that, just awkwardness of, of growing up. Um, I'm more introverted and quiet in temperament and personality. Um, all that led to me, uh, that was a recipe for me to getting bullied pretty severely, basically for three years straight, all through middle school. I remember planning my days to where I would avoid certain people um, in the hall or before practice with football or something like that. Um, and it just, it, it did something to me where it just, I had to deal with this source of shame in my life um, to where I had to replace the way that I used to view myself with the way that God views me in Christ. And I, that took me a long time, even after all of that ended. So that's social shame. There's uh, performance shame as well. This is a type of shame where uh, you feel like you won't ever add up to much. Uh, you feel like you can't do anything right. Um, you're, you're, you're a failure in life. Um, a lot of people deal with, with performance shame, and this also could be coming from moral as well, where you feel like, I can never be good enough. I, I never add up, um, even morally. So therefore, I don't feel like God even accepts me. So you feel this just deep sense of failure um, in your life. So, so that's performance shame. So there's body shame, there's social shame, 
And then there's performance shame. Now to close, there are really, truly only two ways that people deal with their shame. One is a human way, and one is God's way. Let's talk about the human solution first, which is basically just winning approval from other people to try to cover this shame. It's like Adam and Eve, they felt shame, so they tried to cover up their shame by hiding in the leaves and in the bushes and then also making for themselves fig leaf clothes. Well, there are a lot of fig leaves that people try to put on, and it boils down basically by trying to take away this shame. If shame is losing face in the eyes of others, it's trying to elevate yourself in the eyes of others through your own human efforts. Um, For example, with, with body shame, someone feels embarrassed about their body, well, To cover that up, they work extra hard at becoming more physically attractive or sexually alluring to the opposite sex. Social shame. How do people try to cover up their social shame? Well, they try to be somebody they're not so that other people will accept them. A lot of people try to find a romantic partner. Well, if this person loves me and accepts me, that's all that matters in my life. And at least all sorts of compromise um, after compromise. So a lot of people get into dependency and codependency um, because of social shame, because they're trying to fill this void in their life that they feel that's left because of shame, and they can never get it filled up or they can never get it covered up in their life. Performance shame that would be just just ex- trying to go all out with excelling. Um, well, I, I feel like a failure, so I'm going to prove myself. I'm going to get the best grades. I'm going to get the top job that I can. I'm, I'm going to prove myself. And along with that, by the way, this could include um, a religious type of performance, too. So beware of that. And I, I, to be more transparent, I'm also prone to that type of thing. I, I am, by nature, an achiever. Um, and sometimes, unfortunately, that's bled over into, I, I'm going to achieve at church, too. Um, I'm, I'm going to be here for everything. I'm going to go on all these mission trips, you know, uh, ministry can easily become a performance thing for me where I'm trying to win the approval of people rather than God's approval. So that can become a religious type effort as well, performance. Now, before I talk about God's solution, I do want to to encourage us as parents and also as, as grandparents in this as well. Be wary Watch yourselves, parents and grandparents, not to reinforce these human solutions for shame in your child. We're all dealing with shame. There's only two solutions 
reinforce God's solution that we're going to talk about here just in a second and not man-made solutions. Here is the hard truth of the matter. Many parents live through their kids' success vicariously and try to find the solution to their own shame through their kids. You can be proud of your kids. You can cheer on your kids without sending them the message that their worth is in either what they look like or how many friends they have or who they're dating or how many accomplishments that they have attained. It's so easy to reinforce man-made solutions to shame because we're still dealing with shame. And sometimes, unfortunately, the way that we cover up our shame is putting that solution on our kids, on our grandkids. So be wary of that and watch that. All right, now let's talk about God's solution to shame in our life. And this is so glorious. It's so incredible. Second Corinthians, starting in verse um, 5. I can get there. I had it marked. I'm sorry. Starting, I, I said verse 5, chapter 5, uh, verse 18 through 21. And there the Apostle Paul um, tells us about this glorious reconciliation that we have through Christ. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now let me share the answer, the solution to sin or to shame that's there because we have put it there because of what we have done. The beautiful solution to shame is Christ took our place. He died the death that we deserve to die. He did not deserve any shame. But our shame was laid on him. And he was excluded. He was cast out. He was embarrassed and humiliated. That's what our sin looks like. That's what our sin deserves. 
But the glorious hope of the gospel is in an exchange that has taken place. That the one who knew no sin or shame became sin for us. So that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So that now, if we give our lives to Jesus by faith and trust in what he has done, God looks at you, believer in Jesus, just as if you never sinned and always obeyed. You get Jesus' position, righteousness. He takes away your sin and your shame. That never changes. Even if you stumble and fall, even as a believer, you are still God's child. And he delights in you. Because Jesus identifies himself with you and you in him. You hear the voice of the Father crying out, just like when Jesus was baptized, this is my own son. In him I am well pleased. So here this morning, believer, because of the merits of Christ, your sin is taken away and the Father is singing over you and delighting in you. This is my own dear child. He's speaking this to you. In you, God is well pleased. Your sin and your shame is no more. You do not have to live in that as a reality anymore. Does not have to be bondage anymore. When you do feel shame because of something that you have done, you quickly confess it as a believer and trust that God is faithful and just to cleanse you of sin and all unrighteousness. Live in that truth. Now, as far as sin, or I'm sorry, shame that's there because it has happened to us. Because of something someone else has done to us or because of, of one of these situations like the woman who had that, that medical um, condition. How is shame taken away there? Well, shame is taken away there because, once again, Jesus identifies with you. He knows the shame because he's experienced it for you on your behalf. Horrible, unimaginable shame was put on Christ on the cross. But three days later, he arose from the grave. And through faith in him, you are reconciled to God, just as we've read here in 2 Corinthians. And praise God that he isn't only the righteous judge who declares us forgiven and then just hands off. No, God is our loving father who not only declares us forgiven as righteous judge, but comes in as our loving father 
and says, I want you. Nobody else may want you. I want you. You are not excluded from me. Through my son, you belong to me. Nothing ever is going to separate you from my love. In the book of Hebrews, it tells us that that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. Sometimes I feel like we as Christians have bought into a lie that God is somehow embarrassed still by us. God isn't embarrassed by you. No matter what has happened, he loves you. And he's proud of you. And he deeply wants a close relationship with you. So you can let go of that shame. Both shame because of what you have done and shame that has happened because of something that someone else has done or said about you. So this morning, before our invitation, we are going to take the Lord's Supper. We're going to play some music for a few minutes, and I want you to spend some time with God. And if there is sin in your life that rightfully you feel shame for, this is your opportunity to confess that to God and allow Him to remove that. This can be a big moment for you. You have been going in the wrong direction for quite some time. Now it's time to get right with God. Maybe you haven't become a believer yet. The answer for you isn't to join us in communion because this is a family meal. The answer for you is to come down during the invitation and to make public that you want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Or maybe you're dealing with that shame that's there because it's happened to you. Now's the time to draw near to God, just like that woman did who was bleeding. Time to reach out to him spiritually and allow him to remove that shame that you've been living under for so long. And just like that woman, he can take it away. Will you let him this morning? Will you pursue him? Will you reach out to him? As the music plays, spend some time with God.